Thank you. Merry Christmas. My name's Smiley. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're here to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ with us this evening. So let me, uh, before we open up his word, let, let me pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you came to earth to save us. Thank you. And we're here to celebrate that. As we read the story of your birth, Holy Spirit, fall for us on those that have heard the story. Many, many times may it be new and fresh. May our hearts be filled with the wonder of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit for others, that this might be the night when the lights come on and the coin drops and people understand who you are and make room in their hearts for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, that last song, that's really the, the point of the message today. The point is to make room in your hearts for Jesus. I really believe that is the greatest advice I could give you in life. It's the greatest advice I could give you in death, that you would make room in your hearts for Jesus. So thankful to be a Christian, aren't you? I mean, at times like this, we have the best holidays, don't we? I mean, the best celebrations. We have Christmas where we celebrate that God became a man and dwelt among us. And then we have Easter. And at Easter, we celebrate how a dead man got up and walked out of the tomb and said we could too. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke 2, and I'm going to read the story from Luke 2. But before I do that, I have a very important Bible question for you. And that Bible question is, why are there only 25 letters in the Christmas alphabet? 25 and not 26. Nobody knows? There's no L in, uh, no L, okay. Okay, some of you are kidding there a little bit, okay. Hey, I've got a whole bunch of bad Bible jokes, okay. But I'm going to read from Luke 2, and I, man, when I hear this, every time I get goosebumps, it is so good, and I pray the same happens for you. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee. Galilee was in the north from the city of Nazareth to Judea, which would be in the south, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, as I read that story, who's missing? Thank you. Yes, someone knew the donkey is missing, right? Because we always hear, what, that, that Mary came on a donkey, but where's the donkey? I don't find the donkey. So let me help you with a little geography here. You see, Nazareth is in the north in what's called Galilee, <clears throat> And they're headed to Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem. Uh, it's about 80 miles if you went directly, but the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. So they probably would have gone over and then gone down the Jordan River and come back. So Mary's about nine months pregnant. So I need the help of moms here. If you're a mom, would you raise your hand for me? If you raise your hand, if you're a mom. Okay, you're the moms. Now... I want you to help me. I'm kind of a backyard scientist, and you have 80 miles you need to go, and you're nine months pregnant. Would you rather ride a donkey 
or would you rather walk? I asked my wife, and she says, can't I have more options? <laughs> no, so I really, I want your help. If you're nine months pregnant, you've got to go 80 miles. How many of you mothers, and only mothers can vote, would, uh, would rather ride a donkey? If you'd rather ride the donkey, stand up. Let's see how many moms would rather take the donkey. Okay, quite a few choose the donkey. Okay, thank you for your help. All right, now, if you would rather walk that 80 miles when you're nine minutes, let's stand up. It was pretty close. I'm not sure with my scientific poll. Thank you for your help. Uh, Karen says there's got to be more options than that. But somehow, on the map, somehow Joseph and Mary got from Nazareth down to Bethlehem while Mary was great with child. And she, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, moms, just think about that for a moment. Get into the story and how you dream about how it's going to be with your firstborn child. And you're far away from home, and you're in a barn, and there's no place you lay your newborn son in, in a manger, which is a feeding trough. Uh, I mean, can you imagine Jesus too? Sometimes we ask people, what, what, were you born in a barn? And what would Jesus say? What? Actually, what? I was. But here's the question. Why was he born in a barn? Because there was no room in the end. And I would ask you, if the innkeeper knew who the child was, if the innkeeper knew the child was fully God and fully man, do you think he would have made room? If the innkeeper knew what he had come to do, that this was the Savior of the world, do you think he would have made room for Jesus? You know what I'm praying for you? That you would know who the baby born is, God made man. That you would know why that baby came to save us from our sins so that you would not repeat the mistake of the innkeeper who had no room in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Did you know that shepherds were the lowest you could be? Well, actually... <clears throat> They were low. The only thing lower than shepherds would have been lepers. So they were outsiders and they were nobodies. And isn't it interesting that first to hear the good news were the nobodies, the outsiders, the lowest? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now imagine, okay, you're there. You're a shepherd, a nobody. You're out and it's dark and you're watching your sheep and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. So, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. You're watching your sheep, all of a sudden there's this bright light and the glory of the Lord. And how did they respond? They were frightened. I talk to a lot of people about God, and the one thing that doesn't enter most people's minds is the idea that you would ever be frightened by God. Most people in our culture think God is kind of a heavenly teddy bear. He's just warm and cuddly and all. And yet in the Bible, whenever someone finds themselves in the presence of the Lord or, or they see the glory of the Lord, they're frightened. Uh, do you know what the glory of the Lord is? I mean, as Christians, we, we use words a lot and we don't define them. So I want you to understand what they saw, okay, the glory of the Lord. 
In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne, and we pick up the story, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The, the host, or the, there's this, all these angels, and you know what holy means, right? It means that God is set apart. He's different from us. And, and God's not just holy. He's holy, holy. And he's not just, he's holy, holy, holy. He's set apart. He's pure. He's light. In him, there's no darkness at all. So we would think that Isaiah 6 would say, follow with me, we would think the verse would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, what? We would think it would say his holiness. Because it just talked about how he's holy, holy, holy. But it doesn't say that. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory is the radiance of his holiness. That God is so holy, it radiates out his glory. And when people see the glory of the Lord, they experience the trauma of holiness. That they are too close to someone who's too holy and they want space. And that's what happened to the shepherds. Have you ever seen the glory of the Lord? Have you ever experienced the trauma of holiness that you were too close to someone who was too holy and you wanted space? Back to Luke 2, they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. How many of you would like to hear some good news tonight? Like some good news? I mean, we hear a lot of bad news, right? Good news of great joy. How many of you would like more joy? Man, you're in the right place. Did you hear what he said? Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. What is it? Uh, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's it? I mean, people in our culture today would say, well, who needs a Savior? How is that good? Who needs a Savior? You know who needs a Savior? Anyone's ever sinned needs a Savior. Have you ever sinned? Do you know who needs a Savior? Anyone who's going to die. Anyone who's going to die ought to perk up and hear, wait, wait, a Savior's been born? Uh, the word gospel, which is what Christmas is all about, means good news, but it contains some bad news. You see, we have two problems, sin and death. And did you know that sin and death are connected? They're connected, but both people, most people don't understand that. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, will you read this verse with me? Read it with me, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who does the Bible say is sin? All. So everyone needs a Savior. Right? And, and especially me. Um, you see, the Bible says that all of us have sinned, and what sin is, uh, it, it's a crime against God. And uh, many people in this room, many in this room, we are very aware that we are sinners. And I want you to know that's true, but we're not the only one. Everyone in here is a sinner. Did you know that? And there are some people in this room, there are some in this room, and you're very aware that other people are sinners because you're kind of far-sighted and you see the sins of others. And it's true. The people around you, you do see their sins, but you have sinned too. The Bible says all of us need a Savior because we all have a sin and death problem for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I would ask you a question. When was the last time 
you heard the word sin used uh, like in our culture. When was the last time you heard the word sin? Um, it's been replaced by less offensive words like uh, mistakes or inappropriate. So someone's caught stealing from their business and they say that mistakes were made. When you steal, is that a mistake? No, it's a sin because God says you shouldn't steal, right? Or someone commits adultery and they said it was inappropriate. It's not inappropriate, it's a sin. So I want to help you understand a good vocabulary because words are very important. So let's take a little test on vocabulary. And the first question would be, if I wore jorts to a wedding, would that be a mistake or a sin or inappropriate? And some of you are uninformed and don't know what jorts are. Jorts are jean shorts that guys are wearing. Now, I, I have that because when our son Caleb played at Florida, I had some shorts like that. And I was so tickled with them. I had these blue jean shorts and I wore an orange shirt and I, th I thought I was dressed so well. And finally, Caleb had enough and said, Dad, please quit embarrassing me. <laughs> quit wearing those jorts to the game. And, and so I discovered he was very displeased with my jorts. So... If I was officiating at your wedding and I wore jorts, would that, be, would that be like a mistake or a sin or inappropriate? What would it be? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be sin. It would be close. But it would be inappropriate. Marginally sin, okay? So that's, it would be inappropriate to wear jorts to officiate at a wedding. Okay, I'm taking a math test. I'm taking a math test, and I figure that 2 plus 2 equals 9. What's that? It's what? It's a mistake. It's, it's wrong, but it's not a sin. But if I told a lie, what would that be? It would be a sin. Why would it be a sin? Because the ninth commandment says you shall not bear false witness. So that would be a crime against God. It's very important that we understand that a sin is a crime against God. It's not making a mistake. It's not doing something that's inappropriate. It's a crime against God. And we can commit crimes against God through what we do or say or think or what we leave undone. Huh. Um, what we do. Do you know God blessed me with the most amazing parents? And I disobeyed my parents over and over and over again, and I broke their hearts. Am I the only one in here? Or if any of you disobeyed your parents? You know, when we disobey our parents, we're sinning against God because God said, honor your father and mother, and, and I didn't do that. And do you know that God said, you shall not steal, and I have stolen so many things in my life. Have you ever stolen anything? Man, I used to steal money from my brother's coin collection, very valuable coins, and buy candy bars with them. He was not happy. I would go into restaurants and steal server's tips. They weren't happy either. I would go to our local pool and shake out towels and steal people's money. You say, Smiley, you're terrible, and I am. But I don't imagine I'm the only one in here who's ever stolen anything. Have you ever stolen anything? Listen, that is a crime against God. It could be something we do. It could be something we say. 
that if we said something unkind or hurtful or if we gossip, do you know God is not fond of, fond of grumbling, that grumbling is a crime against God? Anybody ever do that? Uh, how about, you ever call someone an idiot? I mean, do you drive? You know what Jesus said? He said if we call someone a fool, that that would be, make us guilty enough to go to hell. It could be something we do or say or even think. Jealousy, envy, pride, anger. Wow. Those are all crimes against God. And uh, it's not just what we do say and think, it's what we leave undone. One day a man asked Jesus, what is the greatest of all the commandments? A lot of you know, right? He said, what, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and you should love your neighbors yourself. Can we talk? I've never done that for a day in my life, and, and neither have you put him first in every decision? And you know what Jesus said? The second greatest commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know who my neighbors are? And I, you're, I've not done that, have you? So let's imagine that I sin three times a day, and that would be pretty conservative. I made a decision without putting God first. I didn't love my neighbor, and I got angry with my wife without cause. That'd be three sins in a day, and I'm 32 years old, 365 days. That'd be 32,000 sins, right? That was meant to be funny, right? <laughs> now it's 32,001, right? Oh, man. Three cents a day, a thousand cents in a year, and all of a sudden I'm 69. I have 69,000 crimes. I mean, what do we have with judges? Three strikes and you're out? What would happen if we stood before a judge, even a very lenient judge, with 69,000 sins? And you know, that's what the Bible says. The reason we need a Savior is we have a sin and death problem, that we've all sinned against God, and God is just, and He must punish sin. And here's what God says we deserve for our sin. In Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. God says what we deserve for what we've done is death and not simply physical death when our bodies and spirits are separated from one another, but eternal death, which is the separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things forever. Oh. Listen, who needs a Savior? Anyone who's ever sinned. Who needs a Savior? Anyone who's going to die. And when we understand that we have a sin and death problem, then we're ready for Christmas. We're ready for Christmas. Now we're ready for what Luke 2 says, But an angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, uh, which will be for all the people for today. Listen, this is not once upon a time. No, there was a day where Jesus was born uh, in the city of David. It's not once upon a time in a land far away. No, no, in Bethlehem on a particular day, um, there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know who that baby is? The baby born is fully God and fully man. The wonder of Christmas Oh, that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully man, that the God who created everything was contained in one human cell. Isn't that amazing? The wonder, the wonder that the child born is fully God and fully man. Um, it's important for us to know who the child is. 
And then it's important for us to know what Jesus came to do. Uh, He came to save us from sin and death. A Savior has been born. Remember what the angel told Joseph? Uh, The angel said, Joseph, what Mary's been telling you is true. And then Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sons. Do you recognize you have a sin problem? Do you recognize you have a death problem? I've got really, really good news. Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. Well, how did he do that? How did he do that? Oh, in 1 Corinthians 15, look at this verse. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So you're in school, and the teacher tells you it's of first importance. What do you know? What do you, you better what? Pay attention. You're going to see this again, right? For I delivered to you as of first importance. What's really important? What's really important in the Bible? This is of first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. He had no sin, so he could take our sin upon himself, and he could become our substitute to die to atone for our sins. That way, God could be just, and sin was punished, and God could be loving and provide a way for sinners like me and you to be forgiven. So Christ took our sins upon himself, And he experienced the death, the wrath of God that our sins deserve according to the Scriptures. And he cried out from the cross, it's finished, paid in full. He said he had paid in full the penalty for our sins. But how do we know it's true? Here's how we know that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Death is the penalty for sin. And the proof that Jesus had paid the penalty for our sins in full is that he walked out of the grave proving that death couldn't hold him anymore. And he offers to us the greatest gift ever, the gift of eternal life. (laughs) See, that's what Romans 6.23, the message of Christmas is for the wages of sin is death. That listen, we have a sin and death problem, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came and lived and died and rose so that we could get what we don't deserve, eternal life. So what is eternal life and how do we get it? Do you know what eternal life is? It's the cure for sin and death. There is a cure for sin and death. It's Jesus. It's eternal life. What is eternal life? It's the forgiveness for our sins, all of our sins, past and present and future. It's the opportunity to do life and eternity with Jesus, an abundant life now and life that lasts forever. And how do we receive this gift? We receive this gift by putting our faith in Jesus. We receive this gift by receiving Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We receive this gift by making room in our hearts and inviting Jesus in. Have you? Oh, the verse that changed my life was Revelation 3.20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Uh, Jesus comes and knocks and says, Listen, I want to move into you and I want to forgive you. Let's do life together. Let's do eternity together. And how do we invite him in? Inviting Jesus in really is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you do that this evening? It starts when we admit, Jesus, 
I, I have sinned against you. I've done, said, and thought, and left undone what you would have me do. I've sinned, won't you? And then I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. Come in and be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? Oh, man, this Christmas, I am so thankful to be a Christian. I am so thankful that one day Jesus sent someone to share with me what I'm sharing with you, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit turned the lights on in my life. And I saw Jesus, and Jesus said, Smiley, you can get what you deserve, which is the wages of sin is death, or you can get something so much better. You can get the cure for sin and death. And to me, that's the biggest no-brainer of any decision ever. I want the cure, don't you? Um, so you know what I did? <clears throat> I admitted that I was a sinner. Man, when, when the lights came on and I saw Jesus, I saw my sin. Have you? <laughs> what reminds me of that, it was two years ago. Our family was... Uh, here for Thanksgiving, we had a fire out by the A-frame, and our granddaughter, Cora, who was about four at the time, was over by the gym. It's about 200 yards away, and it's dark in between. And as she's walking through the dark, she's saying, I am not okay. I am not okay. I am not okay. I used to think I was okay. And then I saw Jesus... And I said, I am not okay. I am a sinner. Have you ever seen that? I saw how I had treated my parents. And I saw the things that I would stolen. And I saw how offensive my life was to God. Have you ever seen that? But not only did I see my sin, I saw Jesus. Have you ever seen Jesus? I saw how much he loved me. He stretched out his hands and he said, Smiley, I love you so much that I was willing to die for you and rise for you because I wanted to do life and eternity with you. And when I saw his love for me, that melted my heart. So I gladly invited him in. I admitted and believed and said, Jesus, come in and be my Savior and Lord. And I'm so thankful I did. Don't you want to? Life is better with Jesus. Life is better with Jesus. It's not perfect, but it's better with Him than it was without Him. You know why life is better with Jesus? Because I'm forgiven. Every night when I go to bed, all my sins overwhelm me. They over, that, I do pretty well during the day, but at night, I think of all the ways I have failed as a husband and father and grandfather and pastor and my sins overwhelm me. And you know what's so good is to be there with Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? I paid for them. I paid for them. You're forgiven. Well, how do I know that's true? I rose to prove it. Don't you want to be forgiven? Invite him in. You know what our culture says about our sins? Oh, it's not that bad. But deep down, we know it is, right? You know what Jesus says? Other oh, bad, but you're forgiven. Don't you want to be forgiven? Or do you know what else our culture says about sin? With certain sins, our culture says what you did is so bad, you're canceled, and there's no way back. But you know what Jesus says? 
no matter what we've done, we can be forgiven because his death was sufficient for us. Life is better with Jesus because we're forgiven. Do you know why else life is better with Jesus? Every morning when I get up, you won't believe who I have breakfast with every day. Every morning when I get up, do you know who's waiting for me? Jesus is. And listen, life is so much better with Jesus. Did you hear my favorite verse? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And when I have breakfast with Jesus every day, you know what he tells me? Smiley, never forget, I'm wiser than you. Follow me. Do you think that's true that Jesus is wiser than me? Do you? You guys there? He is. So I say, Jesus, you lead and I'll follow. How's your life going? Don't you think Jesus is wiser than you? Won't you invite him in? You know what Jesus says to me? Smiley, I know the path to happiness better than you do. Follow me. And you know what I've discovered in walking with Jesus for 55 years? He really does know. He knows the path to happiness so much better than I do. So I gladly say, you lead and I follow. And you know what I've discovered in following Jesus? That when you follow Jesus, you can be reasonably happy in this life. Reasonably happy. Because it's a broken world. But we will be supremely happy in the life to come. Listen, how's your life going with you in charge? Jesus is wiser than you. He knows the path to happiness better than you. Why not invite him in and, and follow him? Oh, life is better with Jesus. And listen, eternity is better with Jesus too. Did you know that? Oh, on that day when I die, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be with him. And listen, eternity is better with Jesus. Did you know we're all forever that when we die, it's either going to be heaven or hell. Where do you want to spend eternity? Um, people often tell me, well, you know, Smiley, the weather is better in heaven, but the company is better in hell. No. People are forever. And hell will be not only a separation from God, but from all good things. And heaven will be not only enjoying God forever, but all good things that he has for us. And that's why I love Christmas. And that's why I love Jesus. Because religion says you have to be good to go to heaven. And if you had to be good to go to heaven, I wouldn't stand a chance. But you know what Jesus said? All you need to go to heaven is to invite me in. I am so thankful to have a Savior, aren't you? I am so thankful that all who invite in Him can live forever. So listen, does this make sense to you that Jesus is the cure for sin and death, does it? Listen, would you like to receive this gift? It is the greatest gift ever given. It is the cure for sin. If there was a cure for sin, wouldn't you want to take it? What if it was free and there were no side effects? If there was a cure for death, wouldn't you want to take it? Wouldn't you want to invite him in? Um, 
I love to ask people, would you like to receive this gift? And people say, well, who wouldn't? Exactly. Who wouldn't want to be forgiven? Who wouldn't want to be reasonably happy in this life knowing they'll be supremely happy in the life to come? So listen, if you'd like this gift, won't you invite him in? Uh, if you'd like to, uh, I'll give you an opportunity as we close in prayer. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and if you'd like to invite him in, listen, I'm going to give you that opportunity. But, but while everybody has their eyes closed, after you invite him in, I'm going to ask you to do something. I just ask you to raise your hand, because I'd love to know that today's the day you invited him in. It's really good for us to do something outwardly to express our faith. And, if, and when you raise your hand, just keep it up for a minute, because while you keep it up, I'd love to pray for you. And then after that, I'll, I'll pray for all of us, and, and I'll end this, okay? Let, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful that a Savior was born. Thank you that you came to save us from sin and death. Thank you for living and dying and rising and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you'd like to receive the greatest gift ever given, I, I want you to know that Jesus is here. And... Uh, <clears throat> he's more concerned about the attitude of your heart than the words that you say. But won't you just repeat after me as we tell Jesus you'd like this gift? Won't you tell him, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. I want you to come into my life and be my Savior, and forgive me of all my sins, and give me the gift of eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Most important decision ever to invite Jesus in. And, and listen, if you've done that for the first time, would you raise your hand just to say that... To, this afternoon's the evening that I put my trust in Christ. And just leave your hand up. Leave your hand up while I pray for you, okay? Lord Jesus, I pray for those who've invited you in, that you would assure that when we invite you in, that you come and forgive. And we're given life, life, an abundant life now and life forever. And listen, if you would mark that on your card and put it in the box, we'd love to celebrate with you. Or t and tell someone, that'll make Jesus more real to you. Uh, you. You can put your hand down and, Lord, I'd like to pray for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for coming so we could have eternal life. Thank you. Lord, as we leave here this evening, may we leave rejoicing that we have a Savior, that we can be reasonably happy following you in this life, knowing that we will be supremely happy in the life to come. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.